Welcome to Health Systems CIO's interview with Zach Gable, Chief Information Security Officer with Geisinger Health System. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Zach, thanks for joining me. Appreciate you having me on the uh, on the podcast, Anthony. All right, great. Let's uh, get right into it, Zach. You want to tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Yeah, so Geisinger Health System, we're an integrated health system based in uh, kind of central northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, with a couple different, you know, arms, we've got kind of care delivery, uh, an insurance plan, right, kind of academic arm, research, and an innovation arm as well. So, uh, you know, we're uh, we're growing, and you know, various different parts of our business that uh, you know keeps us on our feet. All right, excellent, Zach. Well, I'm going to start with an open-ended question. See what's on your mind. Um, what are either some of the trends you're watching, uh, things you're dealing with internally, and sometimes it's net technology. Sometimes it's a governance thing. It's it's a policy thing. Uh, but what are the main things that that you're thinking about today and and working on? Yeah, I, I think you know if you look at the healthcare industry as a whole, and as we come out of the the pandemic, right? I mean, the industry as a whole has hit a, a pretty hefty headwinds, right? And obviously Geisinger is not immune to that. And, and the industry as a whole is, you know, kind of coming out of that. So when we think about, you know, the technology side of things, the security side of things, we're really in a spot where we want to continue to be able to enable uh, the business, right, to digitally upscale and grow with the idea technology is going to help, you know, um, some of that business growth, you know, with more technology comes, the need for more security. And so it's it's continuing to strike that right balance, uh, make sure that the security function is, you know, present to support, you know, business enablement um, and, and to support, you know, secure integration and implementation of, of technology that's ultimately going to be uh, with the goal that's, uh, you know, that technology is going to help improve the, the business overall or enable the business overall. Right. Uh, with headwinds, headwinds, are you talking about sort of tough economic climate, uh, cutting budgets, things like that? Exactly. I mean, it's it's no surprise, right? If you look at you know the last two or three years, um, you know, pandemic driven, whether it's you know labor issues, labor costs, right, supply chain costs, um, it's very much all all of the above. So, uh, budget cutting. How does budget cutting sort of trickle? down to you when i mean do you get formally asked like say hey we, you know the whole we need to do more with less type thing uh what you submitted i need you to take 20 percent off that um it, how does it play out when it when it comes to you and then and then what does a sort of a savvy responsible cio how do they see so how do they take that mandate and uh, comply in such a way as to not, uh, as to not cut, what do they say? Don't cut muscle, don't cut bone, something like that. You know, the expression. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think, you know, when, when you've got these tough economic times, right. Um, we're all on the same team and we've got to do what's best for the organization. And so we all play a part in that. Um, when I think about how that translates to, you know, a cybersecurity function, there's a couple things that come to mind, right. It's, um, first and foremost, you know, making sure that you've got, you know, vendors that frankly serve as partners, right? It, it's got to be a two-way conversation and you've got to push one another to do more, right? To make sure that you're driving every ounce 
uh, functionality out of a, a tool or a platform, right? Making sure you're kind of getting what you pay for. Um, I think the second piece to that is in the world where we're continuing to see, right? We've got a lot of players in the space and, you know, the, the new theme is kind of integration and automation, right? So how do we get, again, I, I refer to kind of our folks as partners, right? Because when I look for an organization, um, I'm looking for an organization and kind of the appropriate support model, but also technology that's going to help enable uh, what we need to do. And that's, again, a two-way street, but it's it's looking for that partnership and giving us the opportunity to bring the right technology to the table that you know meets the, the functional purpose we have, but also making sure that it gives us the opportunity um, to, to integrate right our security technology stack where, where appropriate. And when we have the ability to integrate, you know, we can do things smarter, more efficient. Um, you know, we, we've heard a lot in this space right now talking about automation, right? And I think that's an area where we can help, you know, um, you know, with some of those budgetary challenges and and the way we use our tools and technologies, and frankly, react right in a cybersecurity function a little bit smarter. Do you see uh, managed services as being a tool that CISOs can avail themselves of? So uh, one of the ideas is that for um, that we're doing a webinar on this in a few weeks for the more basic stuff of more blocking and tackling. There's some stuff that you can offload from your internal team to a partner that mm-hmm. will then allow your staff to work at a higher level of license maybe getting them retrained, maybe some cloud stuff and things like that. But do you see that as a tool that CISOs should avail themselves of? Yeah, I think that model has been around. And I think, you know, given, you know, some of the the constraints we have, that model makes sense in, in some cases. And I think it's being explored more and more to your point. What, you know, you got to think about, you know, what functionality or what processes does it make sense to outsource and have a third-party support um, I look at that and say that's an opportunity to allow our internal people to, you know, spend more of their time on, you know, things that require critical thinking as opposed to, you know, repeatable mundane tasks, uh, frankly. And so, you know, you think you look at, you know, the managed services are, are kind of offboarding, um, but then you also look at kind of goes back to my comment around automation, right? Some of those some of those managed services are kind of providing that automation on your behalf. Right, which is where you you reap some of those benefits. Uh, there's the idea of automation and AI. Are, are those are very different in your mind? Two two kind of different things, right? Automation is more basic, uh, as yeah. you said, mundane, um, and that's sort of uh, ac- things that can be accomplished. I like, that's real. Some yeah. of the AI stuff is kind of out there and maybe not ready for prime time, and that's where we think of. We really think of clinical stuff there, right? I mean, that's the vision, the dream of AI in healthcare is to help the clinician make a decision. Um, automation, it can be anywhere and it's more blocking and tackling, correct? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm chuckling a little bit, Anthony, and, and totally agree. I, I think there's, you know, a need to almost level set and, and redefine, right, automation versus AI, because I do think at times... Um, while both are fascinating, right? I, I think at times those those technologies or, or you know associated platforms kind of get intertwined. But agree with kind of the way that that you've broken that down. I look at you know automation or robotics processing automation. I mean, 
down at its core, it's it's training, you know, a, a piece of software to to you know do something that a human could do, and that's where I kind of in my brain think about you know repeatable tasks, right? That we can go train something to do AI and some of the the recent buzz in that space. I think it's it's fascinating. I think it could really help the uh, the industry as a whole. Um, you know, I think there's with AI and some of these. Um, you know, web-based platforms that we're seeing, right, they're exciting, but they do come with a fair amount of gray. And so I think the industry's, you know, quickly exploring, you know, how do we leverage these platforms to our advantage, right, to help drive our business, but but also do so in a way where, you know, we're not taking on undue risk. Right. When I think of AI, um, I'm picturing people trying things. Really, you get these really smart clinicians and they're out there, and they're trying things. And you combine that with with cloud, and there's a lot of opportunity to just go do something, right? AI, cloud, I got my company credit card or whatever, and I, what we have our own budget over here, and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to try it. Um, so uh, I would imagine this is something in all health systems that CISOs, and I've, you know, I've spoken to many, one of the things you're trying to do is, yeah, you want people to come to you and let you know, hey, we're we're looking at this app. Can you check it out? Or we want to do this. Can you take a look? Ideally. But what CISOs are also doing is they're saying, okay, short of that, I've got these ways, I've got these, these, uh, these sensors, so to speak, in the organization at different points, whether it's supply chain or even data movement, where I can find out what's going on. So maybe they didn't come and tell me, but I find out through these different ways. So now I've got a better sense of what's going on in the organization. And if I see something I don't like, I got to make a phone call and say, oh, Dr. So-and-so, this is interesting. Can you tell me about what you're doing over here? I see data flying around. Anyway, you take me through. Is that realistic or set me straight on, on what's going on? Yeah, I think, look, it's it's very realistic, right? I think when you get, you know, new shiny objects, right? There are people just in their DNA, they want to go play, right? Which I'm one of those people, it's fair, right? Um, you know, the, the way I think about that and whether it's AI or something else, right? I will always look at people. When we think about a security program, people are the first line of defense, right? And so when we think about, you know, the usage of these platforms and, you know, how somebody's using them, what data they're putting in these platforms. Um, I think it all starts with training and awareness, right? It's making sure people know, you know, the, the impact, if you will, in what they're about to do as they go put things out in these platforms. Um, and I, I tell folks, I like to be in the business. You know, I think, you know, you, you look at the the course of a security function, um, and, and, you know, security as a whole has really evolved from, you know, no, right, to uh, yes, but, right? Our job is to securely enable the business, right, such that, you know, the business can excel and grow and meet, the you know, the business objectives outlined by, an or, you know, the organization. Um, but to me, that comes back to how do we build relationships with, you know, folks? How do we understand their use cases, their needs? that we can apply critical thinking and think about how do we enable folks to do kind of what they want to do, whether it's play in these AI web-based AI platforms or something else, make sure they they're aware of our concerns. Right. Um, and, and, you know, kind of work through them together. 
I, I think that's what you know really bubbles down to is you know it's collaboration, right? It's making sure that you understand each other's perspectives, right? You've got in your example a, a provider that wants to do something in these platforms to gain what's likely to be business value for them. And then you've got somebody like myself who's concerned about, you know, the data, right? And whether that's organizational sensitive data or patient data, right? I'm concerned about protecting the data. Um, and so like anything, it's it's striking the right balance. But I think that starts with, you know, sharing perspectives and making sure that, you know, people understand, you know, the, the different angles that people are thinking about these things from. But, you know, we we found some success in, you know, getting out there. Um, you know, awareness and communication, right? Making sure people kind of understand the the challenges we face on some of this stuff. And um, I'm belaboring the point, but awareness oh. and communication and just overall awareness is, in my mind, um, one of the best investments we can make. Yeah, I and I totally get it. And I've heard, uh, I've actually heard another individual say, you know what, you know, we talk about shadow IT and that kind of a thing. You know, he's like, I don't even know if we want to shut it all down. I mean, it's bad as a policy, right? It, it, we don't want this happening. Things should be looked at and vetted and then go live. As much as we want to empower people to be creative and do things, we don't want to be finding things after the fact because that means fundamentally there's a period of risk exposure. There's yeah. been a period of exposure. That exposure may be minor or it might not be. So as a policy, as a program, we want to do everything we can to have those things go through the proper procedure, proper governance channel. And I guess you do that, as you're saying, you do that by building relationships, letting them understand, letting them know. Nobody wants to be punitive. Nobody I've talked to, no CISOs want to be punitive. They want to be partners. They want to get people to cooperate. So how do you bridge that tension? Because to me, there still is that tension of we just don't want this to happen. We cannot have exposure out there for, you know, in you know, unknown periods of time. Yeah, look, it's a it's a really interesting uh, challenge. Right. And if you look at at least from my perspective, if you look at shadow IT and you've got people, you know, procuring services with a, you know, a corporate card, what have you in your example. Right. I mean. Um, you kind of have to take a step back and ask why, why mm -hmm. is it happening, right? Mm -hmm. Is, is it, you know, we don't have something that something being some type of platform or technology enablement today that, you know, said individual could use or leverage. Is it, Hey, maybe we have something, but they're not aware of it. Right. Um, or is it, Hey, if they want to bring something new to the table for the organization to consider, um, you know, the time to do so, right. It is too long, right? So I think, you know, some of this, we've got to take a step back, bigger picture and think about, you know, why do we still have, and I'll caveat, I think we've come a long way, right? When we started talking about cloud, you know, a few years back, um, you know, shadow IT was very, very big, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, it still exists and it's still a challenge and a concern, but I think, I think we've come a long way. But, um, you know, I, I take a step back, Anthony, and think about, why would why would people be taking you know kind of a back channel approach to go procure you know whatever cloud service it may be and you know maybe unfair on my part but I think it's it's probably time to onboard right it's maybe not aware of you know a, a platform or a technology that exists today that you know could provide you know like functionality or better 
right? Because we've gotten something on an enterprise scale. Um, and so I, I think, you know, it, it's it's all about balance, right? We, to your point, when we have things like shadow IT and we have people kind of taking those steps, we still need to run those down because ultimately it's a concern and a risk to the organization and kind of expands, you know, an organization's overall cyber risk profile. Um, so I'm not saying don't go look at the data and, and I like the approach you outlined, right? I mean, you can go look at, excuse me, I chuckle, right? Whether it's going and looking at corporate cards and, you know, identifying, uh, you know, the various different cloud outlets that that are getting hit in the corporate card or using, you know, technology stack, right? To look at, you know, web traffic and what's going to the cloud. I mean, you, you can definitely derive, um, you know, your cloud usage or your cloud footprint. We were talking a little bit before we started about, data-driven risk management, right? There's another great example where you can use data, go capture data to tell your story around shadow IT. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? We've got to continue to use the data to figure out where do we need to go have those conversations and understand the why, right? Not totally shut people down, but understand the why and maybe help course correct or maybe listen, right? Maybe we need to be doing something differently to enable the business. I think those are excellent, excellent points. Um, and your point about, you know, why are they not coming to us? And perhaps it's because, um, you know, they've been around a long time in the organization and maybe previous uh, in previous years or in days gone by, uh, IT or IT security was a dead end for a request, right? It's where it went to die. And so therefore, you know, I'm not doing that because I want to move forward and it's going to die. So to you, to your point, okay, if, if that's no longer the case, we've streamlined our program, we're more responsive to the business and we have SLAs, internal SLAs where, and I've heard two weeks, we're going to get you a response on your initial inquiry or, or application risk review. We're going to get you that in two weeks, something to look at or something to take back to the vendor and get this filled out or whatever. Now, if we've done that, if we have a new approach now as, as an IT security department and we're performing at a different level and we want people to know that so that they come to us, we have to communicate that, right? We can't just change and hope people figure out. So do you have thoughts around that? Like if we are delivering a different level of service, how do we get that out to the organization? Yeah, no, it, it's a really interesting question. And I, I think the other challenge, and I'll give you my reaction, but I think the other thing we need to think about is, you know, we talk about how do you communicate, right? Emails or digital signage, right? And and I was actually having this discussion earlier this week, albeit on a slightly different topic, but the theme is how do you get a message out to the organization? How do you get a message out to an organization that, you know, if I think about, I, I talked about kind of our organizational structure, but the big part of our organization is is the clinical enterprise, right? And so you've got providers and uh, caregivers that are literally, you know, working with patients, right? They don't have time to pull out their phones and check their email or log into their workstations. I mean, one of the things we we hear a lot about is, um, you know, providers are just being overloaded with email, right? And it takes away from patient care, right? We're in the business of providing great care to patients, right? And so we've got to think differently how do we go touch these individuals, right? Mm -hmm. and so back to your question, Anthony, I mean, I think about it's, again, we kind of have to look, you know, step in the shoes of a provider and understand what's the best way to get a message out. Because I think 
the historic ways of, you know, blasting people with email. I mean, you know, it, it works at times, but I think we we have an opportunity as an industry, right, to be more creative in how we how we communicate with uh, with kind of the end users that ultimately we are here to enable. So, you know, we've got mechanisms where we have, you know, weekly communications, right, with providers. Um, the other thing that I'll share that we found some success in is having kind of steering committees with different, you know, providers where we can relay something, um, you know, whether that's new technology, whether that's talking about risk. Um, but I think it's trying to find avenues or outlets where you can have these discussions, but have have a two-way discussion, right? I think it's important to allow the providers to ask questions, right? Um, where, you know, you send something out via email or notification, right? Somebody might email you back and respond, but I don't know that that's the, the best forum for somebody to be able to react and ask that second and third question that gives them comfort about what it is we're trying to achieve. You talked about providers. Those are, you know, a huge component of your users. Um, some could argue the most important customers you have. Um, when they do provide feedback to you, is it all about speed, uh, you know, around security? So it's all about, you know, I don't want to have to log in 10 times. Uh, this uh, multi-factor authentication, it slows me down. But we know that's an absolute best practice out there, and there's almost no alternative uh, to doing that, right? You can't just say, okay, we won't do it. Um, but is it all around speed or are there other concerns they have when it comes to security? Yeah, I, I think the general feedback that I see is it, it's it's primarily speed, right? If you bubble it up, it, it's speed and throughput. Um, you know, th these folks, you know, when they come to the table and again, we want to hear their voice, we're here to enable them, right? And, and help do what they do um, in a secure manner. Mm -hmm. um, it's speed and making sure that, you know, if they need a widget, right, we can get that widget to, to the table for them to use in a very timely manner that's ultimately going to, you know, provide better or help impact patient care. Right, right. And and that widget um, makes me think of application rationalization. So there's, you know, it's not a quick yes, right? Because organizationally, we don't want to do that. We don't want to, we want to make them happy, but we don't want to do that because that may not be right for the enterprise. So there's a lot that, you know, application rationalization is a huge thing these days. It dovetails in with headwinds, economic downturn, and just sensible business practices. And it dovetails in with security because the tighter our, our uh, family of apps, the more we could keep an eye on them and more we've checked them out. So there's a lot that goes into asking for a widget these days to make sure it's right for the organization. And but you have to marry that, like you said, with the speed and responsiveness. And if you're going to say no, it has to be a good why. We already have it. It's not a secure tool. What you know? Here are some alternatives that are more secure. Take me through that from application rationalization from a security point of view. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey, right? When we think about app rationalization in the healthcare space, because um, to your point, right, there, there's business value and bottom line dollars that can be saved, right, by going through that process. I think one of the things that I've observed and, you know, full disclosure, I, I obviously have a vested interest from a security standpoint, and I, I love the way you frame it, right? We We rationalize applications, we kind of shrink our footprint a little bit and um, in turn, we gain security value by doing that. But one of the things that I've observed that I think is, 
you know, really an industry challenge. And I we were talking about this at a, that conference I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. When you think about app rationalization and, and applications, especially on the clinical side that enable our providers to do what they need to do, we've got varying levels of what I'll call application maturity, right? And, and associated vendor maturity in the industry. And so I, from what I've seen, I think the industry's made a, a fair amount of progress in a short period of time, right? As we think about app rationalization, but I think pretty quickly here, my suspicion is we're, we're going to kind of, you know, uh, come to a, a fork in the road because we've got vendors that we've worked with historically that are, I'll put them more in the smaller mom and pop type shop bucket, right? That provide us a, a service to enable our business. And they're really good at the service they provide us. But because they're small, they're less mature. When we start to think about things like security and risk, that those are frankly afterthoughts. And so one of the things to kind of round this one out, Anthony, that I see with, with app rationalization is we've made a lot of good progress, but now we're getting into you know, the buckets of some of our smaller, um, you know, niche players, right? Where if you look at the market and assess the market, there, there's only one or two players in the space, right? And so when you start to, um, people like myself come into the conversation and you start to talk about vendor risk or security risk um, that, that, that those vendors pose to the organization, it's a difficult conversation because, you tell somebody, hey, you can't work with this vendor, they're going to come back and tell you, well, I've got no option, right? This vendor enables our business process and we need this vendor to be successful. And so that's kind of a snippet of where I think we're going, um, you know, in terms of the next phase of app rationalization is we're going to have to put our heads together as an industry and really help think about how do we enable some of these mom and pop shops, some of these um you know, smaller players, if you will, right, that might not necessarily have the resources to have, you know, robust security programs. Um, I, I think we're gonna have to put our heads together to think about how do we enable them? Because again, they, they provide a service back to the industry that's needed, right? But um, they don't, they can't necessarily be um, up to snuff in terms of where we're at in, in our needs from a, a security or vendor risk perspective. So little bit long-winded, but I, I no. kind of think that's a component of app, app, app rationalization that we're coming up on pretty quick. So that's interesting. Usually, so you're, you're saying that I usually associate um, sort of a lower level of cybersecurity functionality with a new vendor, right? Mm -hmm. So you think, oh, they're new, they, they're just kind of starting up and they got great functionality, but they forgot the cyber piece or they didn't put that on. But from what you're saying, there could be small vendors that have been around for a long time that work with a large organization like Geisinger. They've been around a long time. They're small. They're very highly functional, and the users love them, but they never took care of that piece, and they never got out to snuff there, and they, they won't or they can't. Is that what you're saying? You can't just say to them, hey, go get high trust certified. Now, I've heard just as a side note, High trust is. Uh, I've spoken to some CISOs who they're they're big on that. I mean, they're really big on that. And they said now there's tiers, so now they got a tier system. So it's not just oh we're small, forget it, we can't do it. There's tiers, so it's a little more manageable. But tell me a little bit more about that dynamic you described. It's very interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's you know you, you're seeing a shift 
right? And it's not going to happen overnight, but some of these vendors that have been, you know, niche players, they provided a critical function, right? I don't know that they've really felt the need to think about security, right? But now because uh, whether it's regulatory purposes or, you know, what's happening, the, the cyber threat landscape, I think these vendors are are kind of getting pushed by organizations such as Geisinger, right, to do more. And again, my view is we need to be part of the solution, right, and help challenge some of these vendors um, to do more, right? I mean, that, that's how we better the ecosystem as a whole is work together. Um, I, I think you're seeing some shift, and I think things like high trust and the different tiering will help, will help because we can take more bite-sized chunks, if you will, to bettering some of these smaller players. Uh, obviously, won't happen overnight, but um, I, I think that's the next iteration in all this is how, how do we position, and I know there's some discussions kind of from a regulatory perspective, how do we position you know these vendors to uh, be able to grow and mature Right, provide the business value or functionality that's needed, but also come to the table with you know a, a sound uh, security posture. It's so fascinating, and I've I've heard uh, I can remember the conversation with another CISO who described the exact dynamic you're talking about and said, "I feel like a consultant some days." Yep. Right, because it's so fascinating what you said. You've got these these vendors. And they got great functionality. Your users love them. They say, we can't survive without them. You say, the security is not there. So, okay, where does that leave you? And you use the phrases essentially saying, I have to help them. I have to, <laughs> I have to get them. I'm not going to get rid of them. My users love them. So what position does that leave me in? I'm essentially going to be a consultant, and I'm going to work with this vendor. And I don't know to what degree you do you go with that in terms of getting them where they need to be if it's just advice go here go there or it's actually having your people look at it but yeah. it's it's a fascinating dynamic if you want to tell me any any more about what you see CISOs maybe having to do today in these situations yeah i think it comes back to you know one of the things we talked about earlier right it's it's relationships and perspectives um one of the things that you know i think our team does a great job on is you know, as part of our vendor risk program, right, we can articulate kind of our inherent risk of, of uh, vendors and then, you know, our residual risk after working with a vendor, right, and and helping a vendor mature. Um, so I think it starts with, again, collaboration, right, but it's also making sure that the vendor has, you know, some type of actionable framework, right, because for the most part, you know, as, as gaps or issues are identified, most vendors are receptive and most vendors understand why an organization like Geisinger are pushing, you know, um, for more, right? Mm -hmm. and most vendors get that. Um, I, I invest uh, a fair amount of time having some of those discussions with vendors, making sure that, again, vendors understand our perspective in this world of being interconnected, which is, you know, uh, very much so in the healthcare space. It, it's making sure vendors have our perspective and understand why we're pushing for more um, is number one. But then two, it's it's giving them something actionable, right, that they can go yeah. work from. And I think we've gotten better as an industry, right, giving that actionable. I don't want to undermine it. I'll say checklist, but it's more than a checklist. But it's something that, you know, an, you know, a vendor can take and, and internally operationalize and, you know, show 
the bite-sized chunks that are being bitten off, right, to improve their posture as a whole. I would imagine it's very helpful to them. It's a free consultation, right? They're getting free feedback, a gap analysis from where they need to be. Uh, Just for fun and without naming anyone, have you ever had a vendor who was not receptive, who was like, yeah, no, we're good. (laughs) We're not doing that. You definitely, I mean, I, I, uh, I'll chuck a little bit. I mean, you, you definitely have that, right? And, and what's a little bit funny is, you know, you have those discussions and then it's unfortunate, but those are the people you see in the news, right? Right. Uh, and so I, I think it comes back to everyone's got a lot going on, right? A lot of the vendors we're, we're kind of alluding to are not in the business of cybersecurity. They're in the business of providing a service or selling widgets right to enable the healthcare industry as a whole but cyber security cyber security is needed right to do that otherwise we're going to have downstream issues and and i think vendors are they're getting it right albeit maybe not necessarily at the pace that you know the broader healthcare industry um needs all vendors to to kind of get on board one more question zach and then and then i'm gonna let you go i want to be sensitive to your uh, i'm sure busy Busy schedule. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you've been CISO for about nine, 10 months there? Yeah. Approximately? Hard, hard to believe. Coming up on a year. Yep. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, your best advice, obviously, you've had good success in your career, um, and I hope it continues. Um, your best advice to someone uh, below the CISO level, could be one or two rungs, who's interested in attaining that position, what should they be doing um, you know, in their jobs today in order to be considered for, for that type of role? Yeah. A couple of things come to mind, Anthony. And I I really like that question because it's no surprise, right? That there is a huge demand in the, in the security field. Um, I don't know that the most recent number, but there continue to be uh, plenty of job opportunities in the security field. So I, I really love, you know, that question and how we think about growing the field as a whole you know, my, my my quick reaction is it's relationships, right? It's it's building relationships, getting to know your stakeholders, right? It's collaborating and, and you can leave all of the technical expertise to the side, right? Step one is building the relationships and understanding, you know, your stakeholders and the perspective they bring to the table, right? To, to me, that's step one. Um, from there, once you've got kind of that foundation built, then I think you start to share, you know, the security perspective, right? Here's kind of what you're what you're being brought in to do. And, you know, here's some of the things you think about. But to me, it all starts with relationship building. That's a great answer. So uh, for anyone who's wants to move up through the ranks and they need to start thinking like that. They may not be in a position yet where they can go establish relationships, or maybe they can. I'm not sure, you know, at those uh, lower levels in security, if you can go out and bounce around and get to know people. But certainly at the very least, they have to understand that moving up means you're going to have to do those things. And if you go to an interview for that elevated type position, um, don't just start talking about SOC 2 type 2. And, and I don't even know. I, I'm sure there's way more interesting, deep technical stuff they can go in and start rattling yeah. off where the interviewee will be like, um, yeah, but that's not really what you do at this level. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely, you know, I, I think what's interesting is if you look at the security world, 
you know, and, and security practitioners as a whole. Um, one of the best skill sets that, that I think one can have is being technical, mm-hmm. right? But understanding your audience, right? And it, it, it's an art, right? But being able to translate technical security risk speak, right, to business impact or business speak, right? After you build your relationships, step two is, and maybe even in parallel, I guess I'd argue, mm-hmm. is think about your translation approach, right? How do you translate tactical, technical to business speak? Because That's- I think the role of a CISO continues to evolve, right? I know there's different kind of perspectives on this, but from what I've seen, I, I've been seeing, you know, we're moving away from the, the tactical, technical, and don't get me wrong, we need those skill sets, right? We need more of them. Um, but because security has to be a business enabler, right? We've got to be able to talk business speak. Brilliant, Zach. I love it. Uh, great stuff. I want to thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Anthony. appreciate you having me on. Mm-hmm.